Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm so glad that you're joining me today, and I hope this is a good Monday for you. And hopefully, what we're talking about this week will make it even better. So we are spending the entire week on happiness. We all want to be happy, and happiness sometimes feels quite elusive. And I'm going to give you some great ways to really increase the happiness in your life. Because it's not necessarily really a secret to happiness. See, some of us walk around, and in all probability, we sit or sulk around, and wondering why we're not as happy as we'd like to be. And I found this great article. It's called Life Edited. And I really enjoyed what they had to say about this. And this is um, by David Freelander. And, and this was extremely helpful because, you know, we might think that we're lacking some quote-unquote thing, like a car or money or appearances or a different job or a different partner or we want a partner. And so, you know, we have this tendency, we believe that it's this something outside of us that will help us be happy, something that we're going to achieve or acquire. And we oftentimes then think that happiness is maybe some people are born with it, that maybe it's a genetic condition. And so what we find is that there is some truth to people that are just genetically more predisposed to be happy. And so there's kind of like three different categories. And they did this study at the University of California in Riverside. And this was from um, Professor Sonia Lebowinski. And she's also the author of How to Be Happy and, and The How of Happiness. So she really has some light that she has shed on the veracity of these different conceptions that we have. So she really supports the idea that stuff makes us happy or makes us unhappy, but might not be to the degree that we think it does. See, we do need some basics. We need adequate food, shelter, physical security. I, and this is all part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so the extent, though, that circumstances affect our happiness is really only about 10% of our, own, uh, of our overall happiness quotient. So I think this is pretty fascinating. This is why in many poor countries, some of those populations are happier than Americans, than the rich ones. And so there are three different things that influence our happiness. And one is genetic tendencies, another is circumstances. And then the last one is the intentional activities. So what you'll find, and this is the studies that they have done, which is really quite fascinating to me, genetic tendencies make up 50% of whether or not you're a happy person. 40% are your intentional activities. And only 10% of your happiness is really based on circumstances. 
And the circumstances are what you're acquiring, what you're striving for, hopes, dreams, all these different types of things. And so we have this tendency to spend a lot of time really trying to adjust our circumstances. You know, we're working to make more money. We're trying to put more food in the fridge. We want a bigger car, a bigger house. We want a better partner. We want our appearance to be better. So we spend tons of money on how we look. It's really not the best use of our time. Because this is what you want to think about. There's, a, there, there's this great a Princeton uh, economist. His name is Ang- Angus Deaton. And, he's, uh, and along with a psychologist named Daniel Kahneman, found that after a certain level of income, which is about 75000 a year for Americans, that's the amount needed to get the basics and stash away a little money for a rainy day. And everyone has the same shot at being happy. So the woman making 76000 a year has the same opportunity to be happy as the one making $76 million a year. And this is, this is one of the most fascinating things when you look at this. And when we look at genes, because that's the ne- next biggest slice of happiness, is that there is what's called a set point when it comes to people's happiness quotient. And this actually supports the idea that happiness, there is a function of genetics. And the set point is a baseline of level, a baseline level of happiness. So it's how happy we are when we're idle. And for some of us, for, we're not happy at all. And others, you know, we're, we're just naturally happy. So your set point does constitute about 50% of your happiness quotient. But the difference is behavior, behavior. And this is a big but. The rest of happiness, that, the rest of that pie, that 40%, is filled with voluntary action. So whether or not you are genetically predisposed to be naturally happy, you can still be extremely happy. Because 40% of that 100% has to do with you and how you address your circumstances, how you think, because we spent all last week talking about how we think. And so what I want you to think about, what happens is this happiness delivery is a voluntary action. And this is really important because the things that make us happy, for the most part, ridiculously self-evident, are not because of a lack of knowledge of what those things are. It's whether or not we're going to participate in it. And so when they really talked about what makes people feel happier, they found a bunch of voluntary actions that are clinically proven to make people feel happier. So when you hear, when you, you know, that we have this famous Christian author, the, the book that happiness is a choice. And happiness really has a lot to do with choice. It isn't out there waiting to come to us so that we're happy. So there's some examples of how we can be happier. Spend some time outside. And I've talked at length with you all on this show about how really separate we are from God's creation. And how out of sync we are with time, the sunrise, the sunset, appreciating plants and animals, all that God has made for us. And we get so involved in technology 
which is really one of the causes of a great amount of unhappiness. So spending time outside, getting sun, exercise, sleeping more, thinking positively. But the number one deal is practicing gratitude. And so this is really, really important when we think about what actually makes us happy. So what's your definition of happiness? Because as we really look at this, what we find is that there, there, are, there are key, there are happy people and there are unhappy people. And the happy people don't experience as much negative emotion because they process it differently. And they find meaning in a way that others don't. And so using the phrase happy person is probably incorrect because it assumes that they are naturally happy or that their positive things happen to them all the time. Well, they can be genetically predisposed to be maybe happier than some, but they still have to work at it because nobody's immune to life stressors. So it has a lot to do with how you perceive and how you are experiencing your life through your perception, how you're reading it, what you're thinking about it. So uh, there, there's some really good, I found this great quote by Michael J. Fox, and he said, my happiness grows in direct proportion to my acceptance and inverse proportion to my expectations. It's quite brilliant. He said his happiness really comes more from how willing he is to accept life on life's terms. And the way that it decreases is in proportion to his expectations. So I think it's really, really powerful. And and a great author, um, Gabrielle Bernstein, she says, choosing happiness is the path of least resistance. I like that. Aristotle, he said, happiness is a state of activity. But I love what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said, someone once asked me what I regarded as the three most important requirements for happiness. My answer was, a feeling that you have been honest with yourself and those around you, a feeling that you have done the best you could both in your personal life and in your work, and the ability to love others. So what's great about all these definitions is the commonalities that start emerging from them. It's all about that acceptance piece. And we accept the things we can't change, and we change the things we can. And we don't fight the things that we can't change. And so the greater that we are able to do that, the greater we can lean into acceptance. And so happiness and peace come with acceptance. And I've been giving you this story before. You might remember it. I was um, driving in between my two offices. One is in Phoenix and one is in Scottsdale. And it's the middle of the summer. And I was rushing to get to my second office for my afternoon appointments. And I'm at the intersection. And I look across the street and I see this Hispanic family sitting at a bus stop. No, there's no covering to the bus stop. It's 110 degrees outside. They've got three little kids. 
And they're sitting there waiting for the bus. And the man, the husband, was hugging and kissing his wife. And they were laughing. And here I am sitting in an air-conditioned car <laughs> with this wonderful job that I have. And I thought, wow, they are so happy. Had nothing to do with their circumstances. So this is really, really important as we look at this. And, and I did some, some research also about what the Bible has to say. And one of the things that genetically we have come to find is there's magic in your smile. And there's a lot that happens just physiologically when we smile. So what we find is that, and this is what current research shows, and maybe it's common sense, but it shows us that a smile is contagious for one. It also makes us appear more attractive to others. It lifts our mood as well as the moods around us. Can even lengthen our lives. So this is, there's something that happens when you move the muscles to smile. And each time you smile, what happens is you throw a little, what we say, a feel-good party in your brain. The act of smiling really activates neural messaging that benefits your health and your happiness. So for starters, smiling activates the releases of neuropeptides that work toward fighting off stress. Neuropeptides are these tiny little molecules that allow neurons to communicate. And they facilitate the messaging to your whole body when we're happy, sad, angry, depressed, or excited. So the feel-good neurotransmitters, which is dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, they immediately get released when you smile. And this also relaxes your body. It lowers your heart rate and your blood pressure. And the thing that's so amazing about just a smile is what it does for the other person that sees it. When another person sees a smile, they get the same release. Not as much, but when they smile back, it doubles. So endorphins are like these natural painkillers and 100% organic and without the potential for any negative side effects of any synthetic concoctions. So they are these natural, wonderful pain relievers that God has given us. Then you get that wonderful serotonin release that's brought on by a smile, and that serves as an antidepressant. That's a mood lifter. This is why when we have people that are struggling with depression, we put them on antidepressants, and antidepressants are basically serotonin. So you boost the serotonin in your body, in your mind, simply with a smile. I mean, how brilliant is that of God? So many pharmaceutical antidepressants influence the serotonin in your brain. But with a smile, you again don't have to worry about any negative side effects. It's like you have your own antidepressant in your own body. And you don't need a prescription <laughs> to get it. Now, please hear me when I say, when people are clinically depressed, it's very painful to smile for them, actually. And it takes a lot of effort. And so I'm always telling my clients, you know, thank God for the 21st century. 
because people are living longer because they, we have things to help with clinical depression. So I'm talking to the rest of us that may not be struggling with clinical depression. That using a smile as simple as that raises the serotonin and releases serotonin into your body. So smiling really affects your body. You're actually better looking when you smile, I promise. And when you smile, people are going to treat you differently. You're viewed as more attractive. You're viewed as more reliable, more relaxed, and more sincere. And there was this great um, study published in the Journal of Neuropsychologia, and it reported that seeing attractive, smiling faces activates your orbital frontal cortex. That's the region of your brain that processes sensory rewards. What this suggests is that when you give a person smiling, you actually feel rewarded. And so do they. So when they did this in 2011, they, there was these findings by researchers at the Face Research Laboratory in the University of Aberdeen, Scotland. And they had subjects, and they were asked to rate smiling and attractiveness. And what they found, that both men and women were more attracted to images of people who made eye contact and smiled than those who did not. And if you don't believe me, see how many looks you get when you walk outside with a smile. When you are smiling, we usually are treated much better. And what we're going to talk about later today and tomorrow and the rest of this week is practicing the habit of smiling, having a smile that is also authentic. And that comes from an inner world that's happier, right? And that's choosing to be happier. So when you smile, this is how this affects people around you. Your smile is contagious. And see, the part of your brain that's responsible for facial expressions of smiling, like when happy or mimicking another person's smile, this is getting a little technical, I know, but it's in the singular cortex, which is an unconscious automatic response area in your brain. And in the Swedish study, when they showed these subjects pictures of several emotions like joy and anger and fear and surprise, when the picture of someone smiling was presented, the researchers asked the subjects to frown. And instead, they found the facial expressions went directly to imitation. So when they asked them to, to frown at the smiling person, they couldn't do it. They imitated the smile. It's this unconscious thing that happens with humans. I smile at you, you smile back. This makes the world a friendlier place. So it took conscious effort for these subjects to actually frown when someone smiled at them. They had to consciously choose to frown because unconsciously they would have smiled without even thinking about it. So if you're smiling at someone, it's likely that they can't help but smile back. So when you look at the bigger picture, what you find is that each time you smile at a person, their brain coaxes them to return the favor. And you create this like symbiotic relationship that allows both of you to release those feel-good chemicals in your brain 
And it activates the reward centers. It makes you both attractive, and it increases the chance of both living longer, healthier lives. People that smile more often don't age as much as the ones that don't smile. People that smile more often ward off disease and overcome illness better than those that don't. It's interesting how the Lord has created us. It's phenomenal how he's done that. So if your morning is starting out poorly and you feel like you just want to be frowning all the time, because we can't always happen, we can't always control what happens to us. But I'm telling you, I'm 100% confident that gracing your face with a smile can seriously change your internal and external experience. And your smile should be something that you wear often. So I want you to make it a priority to surround yourself with people, places, and things that brighten your day. And if you can't, because we can't always control our circumstances, I want you to find a way to smile. It relaxes your body, and it helps to manage stress so much better. Look people in the eye. Show them. Show them your smile. Because the world is a better, friendlier place when we smile. And it helps our bodies heal. So there's some great Bible verses about smiling. And it's, a, you know, like I've said, it's a very, actually a very powerful weapon. And I'm talking about a genuine smile of happiness. And many times we have to first smile to get some happiness. So remember, God is always faithful. He's going to hold us up. And I want you to uplift your life and think about all the great things God has done for you. And sometimes it's hard to find those things because some of the things we want God to do, we don't feel like he's doing. And so we miss the things he's actually doing. And that's when our faith and our trust comes into play. So we have beautiful, beautiful verses in the Bible. And, and we're, we're kind of winding down for today. We're going to talk more tomorrow about them. But what does the Bible say? We have Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30. It says, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart. And we have Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but depression drains one's strength. So how do we get a joyful heart? We practice smiling. And we smile knowing if the only thing we can smile about is knowing that we have salvation and that this world is a short time in our eternity and that we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. So if the only thing you feel like today you can smile about, smile about that because that's a great gift God has given us, a great gift. So if everything is going wrong today, I've had days like that. I have. <laughs> Everything is going wrong. I want you to smile simply because you're loved by God, deeply, deeply loved by God. Have a blessed day. Join me tomorrow. We're going to talk more about what the Bible says about smiling and all the benefits and how to really be happy. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me tomorrow. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. 
Follow us on social media. And I always like to thank my amazing producer, Jeremy. Thank you. Have a great day. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.